So hi, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us today for the fifth installment of SSI Toronto, um, where we take a business lens at the world of decentralized identity through different topics. Um, just some quick semantics up front. We get a lot of questions about the difference between digital ID and decentralized ID and stuff like that. So um, digital identity is just the general umbrella where decentralized identity is a type of digital ID and self-sovereign identity, a third term here is just an implementation of decentralized identity. So when we talk about SSI or SSI Toronto, it's all about decentralized identity. So welcome today to the, this webinar entitled Embracing Privacy to Fuel Growth. So with our panelists today, we'll explore how your organizations can look at privacy beyond simply checking the box and just instead think about leveraging privacy as an asset to strengthen your relationships with your existing and with your prospective customers. So just a uh, quick about uh, Northern Block. So Northern Block's a leading global provider of self-sovereign identity, verifiable IDs and documents. Uh, we were founded in 2017 as a technology service company, solving trust problems using blockchain and other decentralized technologies. And since we've deployed over 25 software products for enterprises and startups um, and uh, a lot of global deployments for Fortune 1000 companies, uh, specifically in the private sector. So we are headquartered in Toronto, Canada. We are the conveners of SSI Toronto. Um, we like to get involved in different community initiatives um, to try to further the space of decentralized identity. So SSI Toronto is our contribution to further adoption with our community here. Uh, we had started these events in person in Toronto, but due to the circumstances, we've turned them into online events, which have been fantastic because we've gotten pretty good global reception uh, about this stuff. Um, we also contribute to the Trust Over IP Foundation, the Digital Identity Authentication Council of Canada, and we started contributing to the Institute of International Finance, working with a lot of fintechs to build uh, trust frameworks. So we're currently working on two SSI deployments. One is a B2C use case and one is a B2B. Um, if you're looking for more info on those, feel free to contact us, follow us on social media. We should be making some announcements about those two projects in early 2021. So today's agenda will consist of a panel discussion and at the end in the last 15 minutes or so we will do a Q&A. So during the panel discussion uh, we'll start off with some introductions uh, just after this. Uh, we will talk about how SSI enables privacy just with just a short uh, overview of SSI just to get everyone on the same page here. Um, we will move into talking just about privacy and is privacy really a killer feature for businesses. We will then talk about a tactic called progressive profile building followed by using privacy for customer acquisition and retention and we'll end the panel discussion with a, a conversation around new business opportunities and strategies that are possible in this new paradigm using technologies like SSI and really building privacy-centric models. Um, if you have any questions throughout the webinar, please submit the questions in the Q&A section in Zoom. We'll try to cover questions as they come if they are relevant to the discussion. If there is any spillover, we'll cover those at the end during the Q&A session. So let's get into the conversation with the speakers. So I'll start with you, Marek. So Marek, we've collaborated on different blockchain crypto initiatives over the past few years. Um, you've been involved in uh, 
a lot of different projects in the blockchain space and crypto space. Do you mind just giving a brief intro on yourself? Yeah, that's right. Uh, absolutely, Matthew. Um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Merrick. For those that of the you that uh, you know maybe don't know me around the, the Toronto scene, I uh, co-founded the Blockchain Lab uh, at the Schulich School of Business back in I think it was 2016, which is like forever ago in in blockchain time, right? There was a whole market cycle ago, and uh, since then I uh, you know co-founded Toronto Blockchain Week, which we had our first successful Toronto Blockchain Week in uh, 2019. This last year as well, you know, as you mentioned, due to due to COVID, sort of had to be uh, uh, let's call it uh, you know put on hiatus <laughs> until that the whole situation gets resolved in terms of you know <laughs> you know COVID and uh, you know since then I, I also work with um, you know many uh, startups and uh, and other you know even larger organizations, governments, trade aid, trade organizations on uh, blockchain. Uh, initiatives and uh, also lately I've uh, been working with the United Nations on cross-border trade facilitation using technologies including blockchain but my comments today won't be representing any specific uh, organization uh, they're going to be sort of as a as an individual that's been around the space for for a while and certainly you know SSI is I would say somewhat related to this motion of blockchain and DLT so that's uh that's that's me in a nutshell thank you thanks um yeah, man, Marek's a super, super sharp, intelligent guy. So looking forward to the discussion <laughs> today. And um, <laughs> don't, don't laugh, Marek. That's true. Uh, and so I'll just jump to you, Kumar. Uh, Kumar, uh, you have just a tremendous wealth of knowledge and experience coordinating deployments of just really large-scale identity and access management solutions with enterprises. Uh, we've been collaborating on a few things lately. Do you mind just giving an overview on yourself and what you've been up to lately? Sure, Matthew. Thanks for giving me an opportunity here. Um, yeah, um, my name is Kumar Raghubati. I'm a senior manager at um, Ernst & Young, handling cybersecurity and various aspects of it, um, data privacy and uh, identity and access management, threat and vulnerability management, and various things that belongs to, uh, that goes under the cybersecurity umbrella. So as far as my experience concerned, um, I started my career in this uh, industry I'm doing the telecom software developments and as well as in you know, the financial sector. I've been with uh, Ernst & Young for five years, dealing with various types of clients in various sectors, um, handling their uh, large-scale implementations and transformations that belong to, uh, that goes towards the digital transformation as in uh, um, the big uh, landscape that they are embarking. Um, identity becoming a centerpiece for their uh, digital transformation. So we are um, pillars for uh, handling those kind of activities. Uh, have experience with the handling the data and the corresponding privacy uh, aspects of it and protecting those data in various uh, formats of it. Wonderful. Uh, th thank you, Kumar. Thanks for being here today. And uh, lastly, Dave McKay. Um, we've been on this journey together now for a couple of years and working with the centralized technologies from, from blockchain to SSI for a whole bunch of other things. Um, and, you know, t these technologies are really key to, and they're going to continue to be key to create new network effects through collaborative business models. I guess as, as we continue on this journey together, what's exciting you the most uh, about what we're up to? Um, we've never been able to um, 
have identity, and this is a this is a big thing, online identity. So through uh, web technology, um, people were you know anonymous or sort of anonymous, um, and through even through blockchain transactions, there's a lot of anonymity. But uh, identity is underpinning to transactions. So transaction is a movement of value or information from one party to another. And we have systems that represent that value and information, but we don't have systems that represent the, the parties on either side of the transaction. So that's what really um, excites me is, is what can we do now that we have ways of, of putting this together? Awesome. So thanks everyone again for being here today. Thanks everyone for, for joining. I hope you'll enjoy the discussion we're gonna have together here today. So let's start with a brief overview of SSI. This will be a very light overview. We've done some more detailed overviews in previous SSI webinars. So if you're interested, you could go to our website and find out more information uh, about self-sovereign identity. But here today, we just want to cover the basics to really understand how SSI is a technology that could bring various elements of privacy to organizations and like yours and your customers. Um, and the way we want to approach this is just by looking at the different ways that identities are managed today and have been managed over the previous years uh, on the internet. And so this is the first model. We're going to go over uh, two more after this. So there's three of them. The third one is a self-sovereign identity. But this first model being the siloed traditional model, uh, we're all used to this. This is really when an organization issues to you a digital credential that you could use to access their service. Right. So it's usually in the form of a shared secret, a username, a password. It could be other secrets, sometimes uh, knowledge-based stuff like your birthday, your mother's maiden name, pins, and so forth. So in this model, at least some of your personal data, whether it's been shared by you directly or obtained from other sources, is typically stored within the organization's data silo. So it's a scenario that repeats for every organization, every app, every website that you log into. So as a result of this, this model requires you to manage separate credentials for each relationships. We have to have usernames and passwords for basically every relationship that we have. So this is the oldest form of digital identity and by far the most commonly used one today. But when we start looking into uh, data hacks that have happened, we could see that the breach of an organization using this siloed identity model could be catastrophic, right? Potentially exposing data of uh, millions of people. So the second model, which is a bit different, is the IDP relationship model. So the identity service provider. So here we add a third party company or a consortium to act as this identity provider between you and the organization that you're trying to access. So in this model, the IDP will issue you the digital credential to provide you a single sign-on type of experience um, where you could use this single sign-on elsewhere, potentially right, reducing the number of credentials and usernames and passwords you need to maintain. So this IDP federates your login to the service you're trying to access, and they use protocols some of you may be familiar with, like OAuth and SAML, OpenID Connect, stuff like that. So there's trust between you and the IDP, and it's maintained in the same manner as a siloed identity, typically through these usernames and passwords. The most common IDP model we see online is the social login model, where you can log in via Facebook, Google, Twitter, or another social ID to access a third-party service. Um, so this option is acceptable in lower trust environments, such as e-commerce, for example, but not necessarily in high trust environments, such as banking or large B2B transactions. 
And I guess lastly on this model, like the, the previous siloed approach, authentication in this IDP model is a one-way authentication rather than a mutual authentication, which doesn't prevent stuff like phishing. And it also doesn't really work well for authenticating organizations or IoT or things. So the third model is the self-sovereign identity model. So the self-sovereign identity model is a two-party relationship model with no third party coming in between you and the organization, which we're now considering your peer. So this really helps move away from this brokered verification process to a direct verification process. And as we'll get into in a minute, we use a distributed ledger or a blockchain as a root of trust below this infrastructure. Um, Self-sovereign identity enables portable digital identities, which is a really cool thing. So you're able to store pieces of identity inside a, of a wallet. So the common wallets we see are mobile wallets. Um, and these pieces of identities are, are stored in the form of verifiable credentials. So they're cryptographically verified claims that you're able to store on your device. And here are just on the screen, just some uh, facts about, about this model. And maybe Dave, just to close out the, the SSI uh, intro here, um, when we talk about verifiable credentials, what, what do we mean? Could you just elaborate on that a bit and what makes this whole model powerful? Yeah, this is the real game changer here is that in the past, um, if there was some information about somebody, there was, there was usually an authority for that. So it was either the person making a claim themselves or someone saying, you can trust this claim. Um, but now we have this, this concept of a verifiable credential, which means an issuer can um, send a credential to a holder, and then the holder can then share it with someone else who can actually verify the veracity of it. So um, it's, it's um, intrinsic to the actual information. Uh, so an example might be, let's say um, Ryerson University is uh, giving you a degree. So they can send you a verifiable credential um, of degree to you the holder and now you can share that with the verifier and what they can do is they can check to see hey did this come from Ryerson University and did it go to this holder and they can do that without having to contact back to Ryerson so that's that's a really powerful thing so the verifiers and issuers don't have to integrate with each other there doesn't have to be a phone call or an email required and it allows the holder to share that with the verifier without um, the issuer even knowing it. So it, it puts the control in the hands of the holder. Um, and so while this is good for identity, this, this has um, these verifiable credentials have a lot of ability to be used in other places, but um, user in control of it, um, no um, integration required and everything cryptographically proven inside these credentials. It's, it's, a, it's a real game changer make it sound simple. We um, got a, a funny uh, Q&A asking a super important question of why we let Kumar in as a panelist without a beard. I didn't realize that we're all, all bearded here except for Kumar. Beard season, it's like beard year. We're all, you know, locked inside. There's, for me, there's increasingly less reason to shave. So <laughs> there you go. A, he's got a ceiling fan there. So it's warm. So no, no beard required there. <laughs> Yeah, um, follically challenges. What can I say? <laughs> so just to uh, just to, to wrap up this intro. So really, self-sovereign identity enables privacy by doing things like offering passwordless authentication, intelligent authorization, 
for uh, more privacy respecting experiences. You're forming and maintaining lifetime private digital connections. So it's peer to peer, like we mentioned, right? So everything is private between you and the peer that you're dealing with. It leaves full audit trails for regulatory compliance. Um, and to that end, you, you could even derive things like verifiable origins to have transparency throughout a process or supply chain and so forth. So jumping forward, um, topic number two, um, privacy is it a killer feature. So um, where I would like to start here, Kumar, is I think a good place to start would maybe be talking about uh, just data privacy laws in general. Where are they going? What is the trend with it? How are you seeing them impacting the businesses that you're working with? Yeah, uh, thank you, Matthew. Whether it is GDPR, um, that's in EU, EU nations, or right now the CCPA and uh, recently California also adopting uh, CRPA, that is uh, uh, CPRA, uh, California Privacy Rights Act, um, that's recently on the ballot and uh, um, people um, elected for that. So basically there are various um, privacy, data privacy related uh, act, acts and uh, laws are coming in um, throughout the world and various countries and various states and various provinces are adopting their own uh, data privacy aspects of it. GDPR changed significantly on the EU side of it with the 33 articles uh, that contains the um, how do you keep the data and how do you manage the data and how how much rights that they, um, the customer uh, has on his or her data. And if you are not going to be providing um, that level of privacy and level of protection uh, organizations, how much they're judicially uh, liable to that and what kind of liability to maintain all these aspects are changing the landscape of uh, um, industry. Um, and But on the betterment side, the customers are trusting the organizations. Initially, uh, previously they used to, um, yeah, always like uh, the big brother kind of concepts, moving away from that and making sure that organizations are becoming responsible. Recently we did, um, uh, that is our organization did in a survey, 61% uh, are trusting their healthcare providers to maintain um, the data safe and secure. And they are willing to go ahead and share um, their privacy, uh, their uh, private data, that health uh, healthcare records and all that kind of stuff to the healthcare companies and um, let them transform or uh, transmit to other partners. As long as that is helping them, the bigger, uh, broader cause, like uh, um, doing the research aspects of it, or doing the ch sharing the um, efficacy and all that kind of details uh, with other organizations where they can come up with you know, better uh, features and better uh, treatments kind of thing. And they're, they're also trusting some uh, financial organizations because uh, um, they, they know and they understand these financial organizations are bound by um, the laws and regulations and those regulations are uh, both has um, the security aspect of it and the fiduciary um, penalties aspects of it. So in that aspect, 
the customers have started trusting and i don't think they will be trusting 100% um but right now they don't trust the social social um, media companies and social um and probably government but other organizations the gradually changing the behavior of the customer because of this privacy laws and acts in the uh, in these states and provinces um yeah C uh, cpra will change significantly on california side and i'm sure uh, various states and are going to be adopting those uh, are similar ones right yeah so so we did we did see those stats uh, for from the the report that you guys did where there's maybe a little more trust towards fintech and healthcare organizations although it's still kind of uh, around the 50% mark and then when you're talking about media social media cpgs the numbers are just awfully low um, and I, and i guess for for these organizations fines could become really significant if, if there's no if there's no adherence to to the stipulations of, of these new laws um i guess a lot of it and we're, we're seeing like a lot of traction in the self-sovereign identity space coming out of europe uh, where there's a big push for these data laws there's a big push for privacy um and really if, if you just take a step back it's all about just the opt-in model right where like you you as a consumer want to opt in to a company getting data about you or using data about you to do something specific um and it's the same thing in canada whereas in the US it's more of an opt out model right now in general whereas these laws like California consumer privacy act are trying to trying to flip that so there is a trend moving towards this whole opt in model i guess merek to to close this point just spending more time working with the the UN and in the EU and just are are, are you seeing like are you seeing just more um I guess the EU is always a little more advanced than the rest of the world here, but how do you see this impacting just what we're doing specifically in North America? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, to, to your point, Matthew, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount of activity around, you know, SSI and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Europe, you know, identity, uh, other things. Um, so what I've seen from, so I'm going to, I want to respond in three ways, actually. <laughs> Well, the first way is that, you know, in the context of, of, of trade, right, um, you know, cross-border trade, um, th there's sort of, I would say, you know, a, a couple of different aspects to, to identity that, that, you know, um, most people don't maybe consider at the, at the surface level, right? And that is that, you know, when you talk about identity, you don't just want to identify individuals, right, like ourselves, like our you know, personal identity. There's also identity of, you know, things like, um, you know, shipping terminals, right, need to be identified um as well as you know things like uh like tra transport needs to be identified as well as sometimes shipments and shipping containers so um i think that you know the the identity spectrum right uh is is, is beyond just uh just individuals right uh, that's sort of my first reaction second reaction is that i think that you know ssi uh is is and and sort of this notion of sort of self-sovereignty self-responsibility uh for consumers i think is is, is very uh a very important sort of complement let's say to two laws for the following reason is that you know it, it actually enables people individuals that are uh, privacy conscious to actually sort of take that stuff into their own hands like right now i would say certainly this technology is at the, at the nascent stage right so sort of cross a border for example you know 
companies, uh, companies, <laughs> countries still require passports, right? You can't really get across with a self-sovereign identity that you issued yourself, right? At, at the moment, right? But there's sort of a rapid pro proliferation of these things. And, you know, the, 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 the reason that they're kind of, I would say, complementary to laws is when, when laws are written, right? I'm not talking about any specific laws or lawmakers. Oftentimes, the, the use of the law is considered, right? And, and you know, the, the full, let's say, impact of laws, right, aren't always known when they are written, right? Oftentimes, they are interpreted by courts, by, by various courts. And so, so sometimes what, what ends up happening is the laws have a, let's say, a, a wider impact than was intended, right? What was intended as a, you know, a, sort of a, you know, a scalpel blade is, is actually a, a battle axe, right? Which is, you know, can, can happen, right? And so laws can sometimes be abused in the sense that, you know, for example, if there's a, a you know, a law that, that somebody, uh, you know, has the right to take down information online, they could use that to uh, take down, you know, pretend not, not, Acti not illegal activity, not evidence of illegal activity, because I'm sure lawmakers, you know, have that provision, right? But, you know, things that are, let's say, unethical, that are not necessarily illegal, some, you know, let's say unscrupulous person could could then turn those laws to, you know, silence, uh, you know, like Wikipedia, for example, and things like this. So uh, the, for that reason, I think, you know, SSI is, is uh, you know, extremely important uh, development. Thanks, Mark. And just, um... This is this is a picture that was taken last year. Um, for those who are familiar with downtown Toronto, it's on the corner of Spadina and King Street. Um, I think this LCBO is going away. It might have already gone away and been replaced by another condo tower. But uh, the, this is a billboard that was up there on that corner last year. And Apple used the same marketing campaign all throughout the world with similar billboards like this in, in various cities. So here we, we have the largest company in the world with close to a $2 trillion market cap leading the marketing campaigns with messaging about privacy. And they're also shaping their product design to promote privacy within their OS and within the, the various experiences. So it, it's actually, when you look at this, it's a, it's a pretty big thing that they're doing this. Like Apple's in the hands of basically every consumer, right? And they're, they're really pushing for this. It validates that they've really listened to the consumers and what the consumers want uh, towards privacy. Um, we, we saw a survey that was done with about 8,000 students, and this is in the United States, so 8,000 high school students in the US. 83% of them said they're iPhone owners. 86% of them said their next phone was going to be an iPhone. So with Apple having such a grasp on a young demographic like this, and privacy really being at the forefront of what they're doing here, there are definitely massive opportunities to, to change the way your organization works and works with consumers by really taking privacy into consideration. Um, these are the 10 key principles of self-sovereign identity. Um, Dave, I don't know if you wanna just walk through these quickly, just to, to give a brief description on every one of these and why they're important. And then there's a couple of these that I would like to just push a little further that I think uh, are quite relevant to this whole privacy discussion. Yeah. Um... And just a quick comment on that Apple thing. I, I think the takeaway there is that they've identified that privacy is important to people. So that's what they use in their marketing. I don't, I don't think necessarily they're a great privacy company at all. I think they're terrible. Um, but let's get to the, the principles of SSI. Um, so they, the number one principle, and it's number one for a reason, is, is it's user-centric. So it's, 
you, the person who the information is about, it's your own um, information, which you would like to hold private. It's your choice of what you'd like to hold private. Um, number two is control. So you, you are able to give consent to information you would like to give out. So a lot of people talk about the, uh, the, the privacy calculus. So am I prepared to let this information out to gain some uh, service or value that I'm gonna receive in return for that? Um, so uh, being able to provide access to other people to it. Um, transparency. Um, so this, this is really good in that uh, you wanna have all levels of a um, uh, identity network to be transparent. So you wanna know um, who's creating your wallet and what's happening inside it? Um, uh, what is the technology that's used around this? And being able to, if it's open source, go in and have someone do an audit on it. Uh, longevity is important because if you do get, um, uh, let's say, private information that, that you have, um, in the SSI example, it's, uh, it's a verifiable credential you want to have that credential outlast the person who issued that credential to you. So in my example earlier with Ryerson University getting out a degree, if Ryerson decides, ah, we're going to get out of the degree business and we're going to switch to become a bakery. Um, so you want that degree to be able to still be able to stand up. Um, portability, you don't, you don't want to be locked into individual um, networks or people's software. So if I have a digital wallet, um, and uh, you know it's it's not being supported for a new version of a, a phone software. I can switch to another one without having to wait for the vendor to do it. Or if vendors have some other op opportunities, um, uh, new uh, capabilities. I can switch. Um, interoperability. This this is being able to um, jump between different networks. So uh, even inside and outside of SSI. Uh, what we're seeing in the world is a lot of regional networks popping up just through um, the way that people like to operate and um, limitations to the technology. So um, if I, um, let's say I'm coming from a, a European country and I come to Canada, I'd still like my credentials to be able to work in Canada um, or vice versa. If I'm traveling to another country, I'd like them to be able to see things off of my network. Um, consent, this kind of matches back to uh, control. I want to control, uh, I want to give consent to people to be able to see things. Um, and an interesting thing you can do with this is you can just consent to partial information going out. Um, so uh, using uh, technologies like zero knowledge proofs, um, I can say, hey, when I go into the, the liquor control um, board or Ontario store, the LCBO store to buy alcohol and they ask to see my card, they don't ask me, I got a gray beard and I'm balding, so they don't ask me that. Um, but I don't have to give them my address, my date of birth, my um, uh, height, my eye color, when my license is expiring, the license number. Um, they just wanna know, am I 19 or older? So that's the sort of in, the control that you, control is your consent that you can have. Um, which speaks to this thing, the minimized data disclosure. Uh, there's a question there, uh, Fred Carter has asked, you know, aren't digital wallets basically form fillers on steroids? If so, this is not necessarily good for privacy because it'll stimulate demand amongst, among um, relying parties to collect and uh, use high trust data. So um, if I can minimize the amount of information I send, but it's still verifiable, um, then what it can do is it can speak to relying parties are asking for a lot of information that they don't necessarily need. Um, and they, they shouldn't be asking for that because they're, they're adding friction 
And so uh, what Fred's getting at is they may see this as a way for um, uh, to gather more information with less friction. And so what we want to do is, is to give mechanisms to just disclose a minimum amount of information. Um, and then security around all of this. So if, if I'm in control of my own private key and I have some sort of way of syncing between my devices, then I have protection over uh, information that I have as, as mine. Awesome. Thanks, Dave, for that. And um, many of these are important aspects for what we're talking about today with privacy, but two that I just want to focus on as it leads us into uh, our next topic are, are control and transparency. Um, where these two principles are key principles that make customers feel more vulnerable if, if they're not followed. So where you want to be as a company is in that top, white, top right quadrant where you're being very transparent and you're giving consumers control, you're giving them opt-in um, to, to take data from them. And I, I think as, as we keep having these conversations, it, it, privacy doesn't necessarily mean that customers aren't gonna share data with organizations. Like that still needs to happen for, for businesses to function. Um, but it's just changing the paradigm on how, what, when data the organizations get and really make the, making it, it an opt-in method where the consumers are in control in the driver's seat. Um, and so the next topic here, which kind of this, I think leads into it a little bit, which is um, called progressive profile building, which is a key tactic to help build strong and trusted relationships with consumers. Um, and I'll throw it back to you, Kumar. So um, you brought up the concept of consumer progressive profile building. It's different than traditional profile building. What are the differences? And I know you guys are doing massive implementations of this at EY. So do you mind just giving a little more information on what all this entails and why it aligns with the whole idea of uh, privacy by design or privacy at the center of interactions? Yeah, sure, Matthew. Um, as Dave articulating about those 10 uh, principles of uh, um, SSI, one of them is minimum data um, gathering. The, when we are interacting with the customer, we don't need all the data to start with. There are multiple points of interaction with the customer. Um, at, at present, uh, at first, probably we'll be collecting their email ID and start communicating with the, the customer. As the customer is uh, recognized in the system, yeah, we can ask additional information about his uh, contact information, his uh, phone number or his address. As we uh, make the journey with that particular customer, we can go ahead and uh, start collecting the information. So at every stage, we maintain that the least friction that we can go ahead and um, um, create for him. So, um, and provide the services at that level. So if we wanted to add additional services, probably we may need um, additional data. In the traditional uh, profile building, we collect all the data, even though which is not necessary for us to provide, collect those things. We collect the, his mother's maiden name and his um, ninth class uh, teacher's name and whatever that is like a whole bunch of information that is not necessary, um, but we will collect those information and we will think that is in future we are going to use it. That future may or may not come. And why don't we build this progressive profile 
and continuously earn the trust from the customer we are only collecting the data what we needed to provide service at the level what you the customer needed and also uh, make that uh, um, the build the trust both from the customer side of it and uh, even the authorities and all those uh, that are monitoring how securely we are managing the customer's data um, that reduces how much we can go ahead and uh, uh, comply with those regulations uh, and secure um, protect that encrypt the data in our data stores all that kind of stuff so the progressive profile building is helps you helps the organizations um, to establish that level of uh, security trust as well as the um, the marketing aspects of it monetizing those data right so it's really about um there is an aspect to this where it's kind of by, by not collecting so much data, it is a risk mitigation tactic for organizations. But really what you're saying is there's something to be said how it could be used as a trust mechanism and build upon relationships um, over time over the customer journey rather than just doing these bulk kind of moves that maybe don't make sense for, for what the customer is trying to do. That's absolutely right, yes. Um, record, Dave, do you have uh, any uh, comments or, or add-ons here? Uh, Towards. Yeah, I, I have a response. I mean, you know, that's 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 fan fantastic description, um, you know, Kumar. I mean, I think what we're really getting at here, right, is that you know by building this profile from um, that's sort of maybe more interaction based, right? That, that that could be potentially more interaction based. You sort of start getting this idea of you know, I would say a complementary type of ID that's that's complementary to the type that maybe an organization, a trusted third party, issues you or versus maybe a credential that you issue yourself, right? To say that, you know, people can really build a pro, as it says, profile, build a reputation through, through you know, uh, successive, um, I would say, honest interactions with others. And, um, you know, I, you know I, th I think that that, yeah, it, it's complimentary. And um, I, I also can, can speak to, there's a lot of interest in this exact idea uh, across the blockchain space. I, I, I know of, you know, probably a few dozen projects that are incorporating this idea of um, you know building reputation with with a customer versus you know taking private information or uh, you know other other options. So definitely seeing that. Awesome. Um, so I see we, we had planned out to spend about forty five minutes on the panel. I'm just looking at the the questions here. Um, I think there was one additional question we haven't touched on yet. So maybe we'll just give a, another 10 minutes to, to finish this panel and then we'll judge how long we want to spend on the Q&A based on the, the questions that are coming in. Um, and so, so Dave, I, I guess just as a follow-up from uh, this progressive profile building, um, so I, I do see organizations using privacy to differentiate their strategies to acquire more customers, to retain more customers. Uh, what, what is your thinking around this? So um, what I'm hoping is that uh, companies will actually, because they have more accurate data coming to them and they've learned that usually demographic information is not the most important, it's actual customer activity, is that the, they will have um, uh, lower friction. So part of what we just talked about in the, the progressive 
um, uh, building of, of the profile is that it, the less information they ask for, the faster you can get through a process to, to create an account. Um, and even sometimes the concept of an account is, is not all that necessary. Um, using something like SSI, you have a connection between two parties, so an individual and an organization. Um, and as soon as that connection is there and is established, then every time um, they go to have uh, an interaction or a transaction, that can be assigned to that. And you know that these are the parties that are, that are interacting with it. So I think it's going to make it a lot easier to um, acquire customers because there's less friction on it. And uh, again, with the retention, the people are going to have a better experience. So if you ever phone up um, your cell phone provider or cable provider and you want to have something changed, you have to go through this 10, 15 minute rigmarole where, you know, what's the last thing that showed up on your bill from December? Um, what's your mother's maiden name? What street do you live on? You know, all this kind of stuff for them to establish who you are. Um, so getting around that makes for the customer experience to be a lot better. Because if I'm angry at my cable company because my cable is down, the last thing I want to do is 10 minutes of, of you know, my, my grandmother's knitting style. So um, uh, it, it makes it a much better experience. And I think they're going to hold on to people uh, better that way. Thanks, Dave. Um, there is a question kind of related to this, but we're, we're talking about the, just the architecture of self-sovereign identity that, that just allows for, for this stuff to happen. Uh, there's a question of how much blockchain is there in SSI? Like, is it, is it a big part of SSI? And then there's a second question here about using proof of stake networks and private wallet solutions. Uh, I think the direction to go in is more the, the stack that the trust over IP is defining. Did, could, could you just talk to just those, those topics? Uh, you want me to talk about that? Yeah, so the first question was just uh, how much blockchain is there in SSI and just understanding the role blockchain, I guess, plays within the whole thing. Okay, so um, really uh, self-sovereign identity is just using uh, asymmetrical encryption, so public and private keys. And that works fine as long as it's individuals, like the whole PGP thing that people are supposed to use for email. But where you run into problems is if you want to um, be able to reach out to someone publicly, and in that case, uh, issuers and verifiers, well, issuers in particular, um, if someone is issuing this credential and you want to share this, other people need to be able to go and find that that's exactly who issued it, which means you need to have public keys. And in the past, what we've done is we've had certificate authorities that held on to these public keys. Um, but how can you uh, all of a sudden you get centralized to that point if, if you have a certificate authority? So the, the trick with SSI is they've taken blockchain to make a um, distributed decentralized certificate authority. So that means I can find the public key for Ryerson University to verify that um, this person who's saying they have a degree from Ryerson, I can check to see, yes, that's from Ryerson. And I have the connection with the person and I can see, yes, it's from that person or it was issued to that person. So the blockchain, nothing's, um, private information is not stored on the blockchain. Very little is stored on the blockchain. It's it's just the um, the public keys and the schemas for the um, the data that's being sent between them. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And, and there there is a comment here about making money using SSI. So so I think that this is part of the discussion here that um, not necessarily looking at the technology, but looking at your different uh, uh, business processes like 
acquiring customers and retaining customers. And this is just a technology that could help with these things. Um, one, one of the big things too, when we talk about retention here and you touched on that, Dave, is just these phony CRA calls that we get all the time today, right? And you have no way of knowing who is calling you because there's no, there's no authentication happening both ways. Um, so th these are all kind of uh, things that you can introduce into your organization to keep improving trust and keep improving customer satisfaction as they go through your journeys. Um, so I guess this is the, the, last, the last point here. So new business opportunities and strategies of using um, like privacy and technologies like self-sovereign identity. Um, so maybe I'll start with you, Marek. Um, are you able, based on this discussion, to suggest kind of one new interesting business model that people could get into? Uh, I, I can, I mean, I, I can suggest some, some things, you know, certainly, you know, uh, you know, how, how do you make, well, I, this is really the question of how, how do you make money using, using SSI or really, really what's, what kind of possible value capture is there? Um, I think, you know, to your earlier point, um, I, I think consumers are starting to slowly wake up to, let's say the value of their personal information through, you know, um, I think it's evident to most people through things like uh, hacks. Right when when their when their uh, you know you know data gets out sort of into the into the wild, there's you know uh, <laughs> these 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 private data uh, sort of um, uh, leaks every other week we see right and you know as was alluded to earlier you know I guess thanks to some of the laws that are that are coming into play, um, companies are starting to feel the let's let's call it uh, you know um, feel it in their bottom line right if if let's say you know they're collecting more information than they need, right? And then, then it, you know, gets gets hacked or they're not treating it properly or whatever. Um, you know, I think once once they start realizing that on their bottom line, you know, things are sort of going to change. Is this this private data, this excessive private data that people are collecting, um, you know, is, is maybe going to be seen as more of a liability, right? And that's what opens up the, the door, I would say, to to for companies that are doing this to to you know uh, differentiate themselves, right? Including, you know, another problem that was mentioned earlier where you know now people have dozens or maybe even hundreds of sign-ins to different sites like that that's a that's becoming a friction right that, that i have to re-enter my information in every form uh you know the, the, this sort of stuff right increasing also you know people's uh you know uh sort of attack surface to getting getting hacked as well um the, you know th those are, i would say are, are at least two massive opportunities right that, that you know are, are i think we're gonna be important in, in the coming years um, in the blockchain space specifically, you know, it was pointed out that that blockchain is not integral, right, to self-sovereign identity. The minimum would be, you know, I, I could generate like a, like a private public key pair and publish one, right? And that's a form of identity, right? Where, where the blockchain really shines as sort of as a secure time stamping service. That's really blockchain superpower, right? And so building on that, there's this, this notion of, of a decentralized finance that's starting to get into the imagination of, you know, lo lots of folks, uh, I would say increasingly, um, and you know, there we see because identity, right? Because this notion of uh, reputation building um, isn't really available there. What people tend to have to do, consumers of these services have to over collateralize for loans. And there's a great deal of exploration in the space right now uh, along the lines of sort of what what was suggested earlier to you know use um, someone's sort of uh, you know built up profile, reputational style identity to potentially offer lower um, uh, collateralization rates or preferable interest rates or other sort of incentives as well. So I, I, th I think that, you know, th there's, a, there's a couple massive opportunities there um, 
you know, maybe they're not evident on the surface, right? But uh, I, I, I see from there. Hopefully that's as clear of a, clear enough for the for the audience. I'm happy to take follow-ups on that, I guess. Well, that's, that's super helpful. Um, and I guess like with the, with more utilization of just reputations, um, with progressive profile building, I know Kumar, you've talking about uh, DIMs as kind of the, the, the new way to go. It, could you shed more light on what this is and how much of an opportunity this is both for organizations looking to implement this, but also just for technology companies looking to offer this? Yeah. Um, basically aggregating the data and uh, unification of those uh, identities um, as well as bringing that uh, um, risk mitigation into the uh, built into the da uh, data aspect of it is going to provide um, significant opportunities for um, monetizing those things. Um, these opportunities are going to be leading um, the organizations towards an, um, yeah, SSI kind of thing, which is nothing but a digital identity. And that identity can be transformed and um, to various services and uh, minimize the uh, interaction with those uh, um, services uh, to collect the identities or exchanging the identities. You are going to be carrying that identity within your wallet and that wallet can be uh, presenting that identity to those things. And uh, um, for example, your experience within uh, financial institutes is also going to change. And now if we are going to be interacting with the um, financial institute, you may be using a different identity at the different levels. If you walk into um, the bank, you might be presenting your uh, um, um, identity within, in the form of a, a driver's license or a, um, a passport or something like that. If you walk to uh, your ATM, then you need to be presenting your credit card and uh, the PIN. And if you're logging into your web services or web, uh, web portal, you're going to use your user ID and password and so on. Um, so the, it, every interaction point, you have different types of uh, um, um, identity that you are presenting. Within a, a single digital identity, why can't you go to the, um, have the similar experience, whether you walk to the uh, teller, you walk to the ATM, you go to the web browser or you use your mobile app. Um, it's going to be the same identity um, and uh, that is coming out of your wallet and, and uh, improve your user experience. Um, the financial institutes are doing that and that can be carried over to various things like in the healthcare or wealth, uh, with the retail sector. So you can have the same experience as a customer and uh, um, as an organization, they can monetize based upon uh, improving the user experience and in interact with that, uh, the user and to specific to that user needs, understanding um, um, what is the, uh, the user's behavior and based upon the behavior, you can customize the service and the discounts are whatever that is uh, to that user specific. Um, it's going to be on both sides. The user is going to be less um, agitated and on the um, customer side, on the, on the companies or organization side, 
they are only going to focus on what they need to be focusing instead of broadcasting the messages. So on both sides, it's in a win-win uh, situation with this digital footprint from the customer side uh, and the identity side. Yeah, completely agree. Um, thanks for that, Kumar. And just looking at the Q&A, there's a, a couple points or a couple of comments that were in here. Phil posted a business model idea. And I think this is kind of based on some of the stuff, Dave, that we've been talking about too is, um, so Phil's comment is to help humans manage their relationships of a trusted fiduciary selectively managing the sharing and use of their data on their behalf. So there's the, the, the delegation side of things too, but w one big thing that we've been discussing is that anyone who is an intermediary in transactions doesn't, is not necessarily going to get replaced because they do offer a value. It's just where do they offer value in the ecosystem might change. And that's where we talk about maybe intermediaries being pushed more to the outside of, uh, of an ecosystem for business cases. Is this something you collaborate on for a couple of minutes, Dave? Yeah. So um, moving from a centralized to a decentralized model um, means that uh, everything is flipped. It's turned inside out. So as you just pointed out right there, so middlemen are now on the outside and the outside is, is not a bad place to be. There's, there's all sorts of services that can be opened up with this. So um, the way I see this, there's a couple of places. There's aggregation, analysis, implementation, delegation, and other services. So aggregation, if you have all of these verifiable credentials, all of these data points, um, individually, um, that's data, but collectively, there may be information involved with that. So it could be your investment portfolio, it could be your, your health record, it could be your, um, your resume, all these things are aggregations of data points about yourself. Um, are you the best person to um, assess your financial portfolio or your um, health uh, information? Are you the best person to uh, decide whether you should get a job or not? I always think I am. Um, so, uh, so aggregation like that uh, allows people to be able to do analysis and provide that on top of the data you have. So I, I think that's, and, and because it's much more accurate data and verifiable, I think that's a really good one. Um, uh, delegation is, is an important one. Not everyone is going to carry one of these expensive devices with them. Uh, so, and not everyone is able to use that. There are people who have uh, literacy issues. There's uh, accessibility either through uh, financial um, issues or um, mental health um, or physical uh, limitations. And so we need to be able to delegate this to something else. Some people may just lose their private keys all the time and decide, you know what, I want an online wallet. So uh, there's, there's uh, hosting services like that. Um, there's uh, actual systems uh, that are, because it's a new way of doing things, it, it's going to open up a whole bunch of new business models. So people will be able to create um, software applications that take advantage of verifiable credentials and identities. Um, and so I, I think that's a, a whole new marketplace that we're going to see a lot of offerings coming up in. Um, uh, yeah, and so that, that's basically it's taking the types of things we've had before, um, you know, aggregation, analysis, um, you know, and implementations and being able to use these with this new technology. So a lot of people who are doing that in an existing model, they're just going to have to change their focus. And I think there's, a, there's going to be a lot of time where they can do a hybrid between the two. 
So um, for example, if it's verifiable credentials, there's, I've got 35 years of experience in the software industry. Uh, all of those credentials in my past, or all, all that information in my past, I'm not gonna be able to get credentials on those. So I'm gonna have to go to a third party who can do the attestations on these claims that I make that I work, worked at these companies, like a background checking company you could, could find that. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for people to get um, information into a verifiable state and to do the kind of work that let's say a notary public um, has been doing our background checking company. So yeah, lots of opportunities uh, in this and the strategies are to look at what you can do with this type of information. Great, uh, super insightful. Thank you, Dave. Um, so to close up this discussion, just a couple minutes left. So uh, as Apple is saying, privacy is really king. Um, I think we, we've talked enough about different opportunities here by embedding privacy in the core of your business offerings, how you can improve stuff like customer acquisition, customer retention, and really create new business opportunities. Um, that about wraps up our panel. I just wanted to uh, let Marek slip in a final word before we uh, we end here today. I think Marek has a, an announcement he's looking to make. Well, in, 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 yeah, typical sort of maybe blockchain space, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I've been involved in um, Toronto Blockchain Week and we didn't have our, our week this year. Toronto didn't have our, our the blockchain week this year. Um, I, you know, there's some rumors, discussion around, you know, perhaps a virtual event, you know, towards the end of the year. So, uh, I would say, you know, again, in typical blockchain fashion, stay tuned for an announcement. So it's an announcement of an announcement. We're <laughs> Toronto blockchain is still around. Please stay tuned. We've got a, we've got a, uh, yeah, <laughs> we've got something planned. So, uh, thanks Matthew for the chance to soapbox for a minute. Yeah. Looking forward to, uh, seeing that come together. We've participated in, in those events in the past. They're phenomenal. Uh, Toronto has a phenomenal ecosystem just in technology, blockchain, SSI in general. So, um, everyone, uh, just stay tuned for that. And I think we'll wrap it up there today. So thank you everyone for joining. Thank you to our panelists for this really good discussion. I really appreciate it everyone. And, uh, let's leave it at that. Have a great rest of the day, everyone who joined.